Okay, let me tell you where we are. We're studying the book of Acts. If you need a Bible, I think somebody was walking around selling Bibles right there for a dollar fifty cents. Now I should let you borrow one. Um, so if you need a Bible, just just smile at Yemi and she'll let you borrow one. Guys, if you don't have a Bible, then well, let's get you one because what we're learning is gonna be it's gonna be so much more helpful if you can actually look at the page. Okay, so what we're what we're looking at tonight is Acts thirteen. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, Daniel was teaching, and he started us on this, on this message, the first recorded sermon by the Apostle Paul. And Daniel started that. We continued it last week, and today we're going to finish it. So we're going we're gonna to fly through this. But um, let me just back up a couple of verses from where we, where we were, and, we're, and then we're going to move on from there. So uh, Acts 13, verse 16. And remember, the, the book of Acts is an account of what the Holy Spirit of Jesus did through his disciples in the years after he left, which caused a momentum that brought about world change and is continuing to do that. So Acts 13 Verse 16, Paul's getting up to preach his first message, at least the, one, the first that we've got recorded. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, this is what he said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of, it, the, God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made them prosper during the, their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. This is what we read last week, okay, guys? Verse 18, he endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. That's where we ended last week. And if you weren't here, then please go to utacornerstone.com and you can get the podcast so that you get the podcast every week. It comes through and then as you're driving, you can listen to whatever merges you have missed because there's a lot of teaching that I wish you guys would get that I think will change your lives if you guys will uh, apply it to yourselves, okay? That's where we ended. The main point I wanted you guys to get last week was that God called Abraham. You guys remember this? God called Abraham for a purpose. He called the Jewish people for a purpose. And all the things that happened to the Jews during those 450 years that Paul talks about were not just bad luck. God had a plan for them in spite of what was going on in their lives. And what I want you guys to remember is that the things that are going on in your life also are not just bad luck. It's not just bad luck. God has a plan for you, and even tonight, God plans, God's plan for you, even tonight, is to do something significant in your life. And God's plan for the Jews was, what we talked about was for the world, that the world would be changed because of his call of Abraham and his call upon the Jewish people. It wasn't for them. It was for them to be a blessing to the whole world. That's what we talked about. So this is where we are on the second part of verse 20. Um, this is where we're picking it up. After this, so after what we talked about last week, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. He's given them more history. He's talking to Jewish people who are going to hear, hear the gospel for the first time, understand what it is, and he's... He's speaking to them at their level. He says, Paul's speaking to these Jewish people in the synagogue, and he says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. And he, that is God, testified concerning David, and this is what God said about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Okay. 
If you guys are taking notes, which I hope you are, would you guys write this down? And all this, all this history that he's talked about up to this point, the point, the main point that I want you guys to get that Paul is trying to get the, the listeners to get is that God had a plan. God had a serious plan. Okay. The second thing that I want to ask you guys to write down that we're going to look at right now is that, that Paul is wanting his hearers to get is this. Second thing is, first thing is God had a plan. Second thing is, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan. He's going to tell, tell them that. Now, they all agree that, that God has a plan. But now he comes along and says, the fulfillment of that plan that God had is going to be, is, is Jesus. So verse 23, from this man's descendants. Whose descendants? David. Okay, talk, just talked about David. From David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Underlined as he promised, because we're going to talk about that more in a second. Verse 24, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance. This is speaking of John the Baptist, that hairy homeless guy. John preached repentance and baptism to who? All the people of Israel. That's who John was speaking to. He wasn't talking to Gentiles. He was talking to the people of Israel, inviting them to repent and turn their hearts toward their God. Verse 25, as John was completing his work, would you guys underline those, that word also, that sentence? As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not the one, meaning I'm not the Messiah. No, I'm not him. But, there, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Paul's quoting John the Baptist, who had been put to death about 30 years earlier, 25 years earlier. So verse 26, brothers, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Jews, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Verse 27, the, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. In other words, they didn't, the people in Jerusalem didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet, in condemning him, even though they didn't recognize he was the Messiah, in condemning him, they, underline this, fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They put him to death, and you know what? In putting him to death, they fulfilled what God had said was going to happen. Verse 28, they, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, underline that, when they had carried out all that was written about him, there's something really significant in that that we're going to talk about here in a second. They took him down from the tree, same word as cross, and laid him in a tomb, a place for dead people. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Verse 32, we tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Okay, once again, the point, the point that Paul is making in all this history about Jesus, about John the Baptist and Jesus, the point that he wants these Jewish hearers to get is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan. And Paul wants these people to know that. That Jesus is really the fulfillment. And so he doesn't expect them to just believe him. So he's going to give some proof that Jesus, in fact, this is what he, what he did do in what he just said. He's giving them proof that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that have been made to Abraham and to Moses and to David and to all the people of Israel. 
And so he gives them three strong proofs or strong, three strong bits of evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. So the first bit is easy to miss. See, it's easy to miss this first bit of evidence. But the evidence that he gives is this. He mentions John the Baptist. He mentions that John the Baptist, that jo- he's, he says John the Baptist, when he was completing his work, talked about Jesus and said, Jesus, the Messiah is coming after me. Jesus is coming after me. And I'm so unworthy that I shouldn't even be able to tie his shoes. Okay. So it's possible for you guys to read this and think, okay, some hairy homeless guy out in the desert talks about Jesus and says you ought to worship him. And that doesn't make any difference at all. And what's, what proof is that? Well, let me tell you what the proof is. These guys who he's speaking to way up in Turkey, this is where he's talking, up in Turkey. How do they know who John the Baptist is? Is he talking about somebody they don't know? They all know who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist is not some some unknown dude. Everybody knows who John the Baptist is. The reason that they know who John the Baptist is is because he was a hero. He's a guy who was willing to stand up. He had the audacity to stand up against the religious leaders in Jerusalem and say, no, following God doesn't ma- isn't a matter of a bunch of sacrifices that don't mean anything. Following God is a matter of heart change. That was his, that was his message, repentance, repent. That he invited people to repent and turn to God. It was a baptism of repentance that he taught. Okay? So people knew who he was because he had caused such a stir. And this is what, okay, let me ask you guys this. You guys just texted me a, a book or a movie or a, a name. Let me ask you. Okay, I didn't read all those. Tell me, tell me, who, who's the most influential person for young people right now? I mean, who, who's everybody listening to? And I'm, I'm talking to like a hero kind of person. Like, everybody's like, yeah, what he says matters. There's not a lot of people. How about, I mean, back, in, back when I was your age, it was probably Bono. Do you guys know who Bono is? And Bono, Bono sang for you too, but it was more than just a singer. I mean, he led, he, he, he had a sense of we're going to change the world. And a lot of people felt that from him. Now, I'm not sure if there's, any, I mean, who's the heroes now? And why can't some of you guys be the heroes? Okay? I mean, a, a, a generation before that, I think it was the Beatles. But even though I don't think the Beatles necessarily stood for everything that was right by any means, I think there was a sense of what these guys say matters. That's what John the Baptist was. What's that? It is, and that's good. I like that. She said the people, people's heroes are more people, more personally known. Yeah, it's there's there's a lot of variety in who the heroes of nowadays are. But this is what I want you to think about: if your hero, if the person that you're like, if that person said that 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 Addison was so great that they wouldn't even have the right to bow down his tie his shoes, you'd think, I don't know who Addison is, but I need to meet him. Okay, I want you guys to see a video of the Pope. This will just show about 25 seconds of this. I want you to see the, a video of the Pope kissing somebody's feet. Go ahead and play that. I want you guys to think about why.
Holy Father now kneeling and kissing the feet of the leaders of okay, South Sudan. Right okay, so he goes down. He goes down the line. And he kiss. He gets down and kisses all these people's feet. Now I don't. You know, some of you guys think the Pope is great. Some of you guys don't think the Pope is great at all. But whatever the case is, what I what I think everybody wants to know is, the, I mean, everybody knows that the Pope has has a lot of influence and he is a very high level person. Whatever you believe about Catholicism or not, he. I mean, what the Pope does is influential. And what I what I think I what I expect all of you are thinking. Well, what did those guys do that caused the Pope to be to, to bow down and kiss their feet? Would you guys want to know? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question. All I know is that that if if somebody says the Pope thinks somebody is is greater than he is, that he's willing to bow down before them, that I want to find out what that person did that is so great. That's what's going on here. The proof. Here's the evidence. What Paul's doing as he speaks to these Jewish people is he's saying. You guys all know John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said that Jesus is so great that he doesn't even have the right to tie his shoes. John the Baptist says he doesn't have the right to do for Jesus what the Pope just did for that dignitary. Is that evidence? Yeah, it's evidence. I mean, this is evidence. This is, it's, it, it wouldn't be, for us, it's not a lot of evidence. But for the Jewish people who are hearing this, they're thinking, we know John the Baptist. And he said, Jesus is so great, he can't tie his shoes. Okay, that's one bit of evidence. Second bit of evidence that Paul speaks of is in verse 30 and verse 31. This is what he says. And it's going e to be easy for you to miss this also. But Paul says, speaking of Jesus, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. Okay, here's what I want you guys to notice. He doesn't, he doesn't seem at all like he's trying to convince them that Jesus came to life. Don't you love that thunder? Thank you, Lord, for the rain. I love it. I love it. Okay, here. So, guys, what, what I want you to notice is that Paul doesn't give them any proof that Jesus is alive. He is using the fact that Jesus is alive as proof that he's Messiah. Do you guys understand the difference? He's not trying to convince them he's alive. You know why he doesn't try to convince them that, that Jesus is alive? Because everybody knew it. There was, there, the reason that Christianity exploded in those years after Jesus left the planet was because there wasn't, it was pretty hard to argue when people said that he was alive. Paul's point, these people had heard of Jesus. They knew who John the Baptist was. Because John the Baptist was more popular than Jesus in a lot of ways. But, but what Paul is saying to this Jewish audience is, you guys know that this man must be of God and the promised one because he came to life and you all know it. And if you're not sure, then all those people who saw him after he came to life, just go ask him. Okay? What he's not trying to do is prove that Jesus is alive because that's almost basically a given. Okay? So first evidence is what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Second evidence that he says is Jesus is alive. The fact that Jesus is alive proves that he's a Messiah. Okay, the third thing, which is probably the most powerful thing that, powerful evidence that he gives to these Jewish people is he says, not only 
Does John the Baptist say so? And not only does the fact that he was resurrected say so, but those scriptures that you guys are, are pouring through week after week, day after day, learning, memorizing, studying, they all point to Jesus. That's his, that's his point. He, that's the evidence that he gives these people. And so there's, we'll just look at what he says in verse 27. In condemning him, he says, you guys fulfill the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. In other words, the words that, of the prophets all point to Jesus, and when you killed him, you proved the prophets right. You proved that Jesus was the answer. Hey, guys, if the lights go off, we're going to keep talking about Jesus, okay? So just, uh, All over the world, for thousands of years, people have worshipped God without electricity. It's great. Okay. Verse, and then verse 33, he picks out. I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised, guys, what scriptures he, he, could, he could have picked from hundreds of Old Testament scriptures. But he picks Psalm 2. And he quotes Psalm 2 as proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, by quoting this verse. You, this is God speaking to, this is God the Father speaking to God the Son. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Now we could talk for an hour about what that verse means. But here's what Paul's point is. Psalm 2, this comes out of Psalm 2. He's quoting a psalm that was written a thousand years earlier, okay? You guys get the, the connection? Paul is in, is, in, uh, is in Turkey preaching to these Jews, and he quotes a psalm that was written a thousand years earlier, spoken by God. David wrote the psalm, but it's, God's, it's the Father God speaking to this anointed one, the Son. And what the point is that Paul's making is that there would be a king. Psalm 2 is about a king that would come who would defeat the enemies of God. And what Psalm 2 says in this verse is that that king would not just be human, but he would be the son of God. And that didn't make sense because people assumed that was talking about David. But David wasn't the son of God. He never claimed to be. Nobody called him that. And then he died. So what Paul is doing is reminding them, he reminds them then, he's, he, said, he mentions this verse in verse 34, where he says, in verse 34, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Here's, here's what Paul's getting at. And if you guys are too worried about the rain, you're not going to get this. Okay, praise God for the rain. I'm so thankful. Should we just go outside? Last week of the camping trip, I just got to tell you this, last week of the camping trip, some of these guys, it started, the whole Metroplex was clear. I'd been wondering, is it going to rain, is it going to rain, is it going to rain? If you want it to rain, just go camping. <laughs> so we're out there, we're, we're out there, and it, it rains. I look on the radar of the DFW, and it is clear everywhere. No rain anywhere except for one little green dot on the radar map. <laughs> it looked like it was about 100 yards across, and it was where we were camping. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, this is almost comical. Why? Why is this? But the guys get out there, took off their shirts and danced. And maybe it was just so that they wouldn't smell so bad. I don't know. Okay. Okay, guys, that has nothing to do with what we're studying here. But, but I know you're all thinking about the rain, all praising God for the rain. Should we just stop and praise God for the rain? Okay, we're going to. Yes, some of you guys are. Yes, let's please stop. Okay, guys, we're gonna, we, we want to study this. Okay, we're not going to. Let's not get too distracted. 
And again, if electricity goes off or or the building gets hit by lightning, we're still going to praise the Lord. Okay. Um, I want you guys to look at, at Acts 13, 34. And see if you can catch what Paul's saying here. Paul's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And what he says, what he says here is going to be easy for you to miss, but it's significant. He says, he quotes Isaiah, where God says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Okay, this is all I want. If you guys are making notes, what, what's important for you to catch is that the promises, what God is saying is that the promises that were given to David, and there were lots of them that were not fulfilled in David, but that those promises that were given to David could be reassigned to somebody else. They were reassigned to Jesus, the descendant of David. And then he gives an example in Psalm 16. Look at verse 35 there. He's quoting, in verse 35, he's quoting Psalm 16. He says, so it's stated elsewhere, which is Psalm 16, you will not let your holy one see decay. Okay, now everybody assumed that Psalm 16 was about King David. Except it didn't make sense. Because you know what happened to David when he got old? He did the same thing that 100% of other people all through history have done. They died. And their bodies have decayed. And David's body decayed. In fact, that's what Paul says here. Verse 36. You guys with me in Acts 13, verse 36? For when David had served God's promises in his own generation, he fell asleep. That means it's a nice way of saying he kicked the bucket. He was buried with his fathers, and here's the point. His body decayed. But the one who got raised from the dead did not see decay. Who's the one that that got raised from the dead? Jesus. Here's the point, guys. Jesus came to life. He was alive. He died. He was put in the tomb. He came to life. His body did not decay. It would not decay. It never died again. Jesus' body came to life. It is alive. He is alive. His body is alive, and you will see his body someday. Guys, this is the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus is alive. But wait, there's more, guys. The the more is this. Verse 38, he turns to these people who are listening. He says, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that because Jesus came to life, that Jesus conquered the grave, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you guys. Though through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Guys, understand what he's saying. He's saying, not only did Jesus come to life, but because Jesus came to life, he paid for your sins, and you are free be, free from all the penalty of sin and death that you guys t- tried to get free from, from obeying a bunch of laws. Think about what the law of Moses is, guys. The law of Moses is this, in a nutshell. It's that if you are good, then God accepts you. And if you're not, because God is just, that means he has to punish sin. Doesn't matter how he feels. Because he's good, he must punish sin. And therefore, 
If you've done anything wrong, you have contaminated your relationship with him, and there is no way back to him, him by anything that you do. That means you're cut off from the author of life. But again, what we've been talking about so much recently is that Jesus paid the penalty. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, forgiveness of sins is available. Okay, I just want, I want to get you guys to get this. Deuteronomy 6.25 summarizes that Old Testament law. Old Testament law says this. Summary is Deuteronomy 6.25. You guys got that? If you guys don't read the old, want to summarize the whole Old Testament, you don't have time to read the whole thing, then read this verse. This is what God says. If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Do you guys want to be righteous before God? Okay. You, then obey every law of the Bible. And guess what? Nobody's done that. Nobody's done it. It didn't work. All that work, all that Old Testament stuff, all the, the building of the Ark and the Ten Commandments and the building of the tabernacle and the temple and the priestly garments and the priestly training and the sacrifices and the memorizing of Scripture and the incense, all of it was worth zero value in getting rid of sin. It didn't get rid of sin. It couldn't. Are you guys with me? And guys, well, here's what, here's what I want you guys to understand. Some of you guys are like, well, I don't follow the Mosaic Law. Anyway, here's what I want you guys to know. That there is forgiveness of your sins, of all your mess-ups, available through what Jesus did on the cross for you in a way that you could have, that all the effort that you've done to try to fix your own life could never do. I don't know if I said that right. But all the trying all the thoughts of like, well, if I, just, if I just do this and this, if I, just, if I go to church enough times, or if I pray enough times, or if I give enough money away, or if I'm nice enough to Steve, or I work in, uh, at the cornerstone, whatever it is, none of that has any value in you earning your way to God because it's impossible. And every religion in the world teaches that if you do certain things, you can earn your way to God, and it's all a lie. Because you can never fix what you've messed up, the sin. You cannot fix the sin problem. So God became a person and paid for you. I want you guys to know that you can have the stain of sin, the penalty of sin, the guilt of sin. Sin itself washed away from your life tonight. See what Paul says? He says, verse 39, through Jesus, everyone who believes is justified. Back up one verse. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Guys, you can be set free from all your sin. All your sin, listen to me. All your sin was put on him. What you deserved, he took. What he deserved, he gave to you. You are forgiven. You're free. You're washed clean. Before God, you are perfect without any stain or judgment or condemnation. 
Okay, but there's a warning. I want you to see this warning. Verse 40. Chapter 13, verse 40. So Paul looks at these people that he's just shared this gospel with. And he says, but watch out, you guys. Watch out that you don't ignore this. He says, take care. Look out what the prophet, that what the prophet said doesn't happen to you. You guys see this in verse 40? He quotes now in verse 41. Something from the Old Testament, from the book of Habakkuk. It says, where Habakkuk, where God says through Habakkuk, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. The point that Paul is making to the Jews there is the same point that Paul is making to every one of you guys in this room. That it is possible. You see the verse? There's underline where it says, even if somebody told you. What well, is possible that somebody can explain to you the truth that, that you are free from the penalty of sin and you think God becomes a human and dies for me? <laughs> right. No way. That can't be true. That sounds too strange or too amazing. And look at the, look at the last word in verse 41. Wonder and perish. Guys, the end result for those people who scoff, who don't accept this, is ultimate eternal death. Okay. I want you guys to think about the story that I told you last week about my wife driving my car. Okay, my wife, I warned my wife, don't drive that car. And she drove the car for only 20 seconds and smashed the garage and smashed into a brick wall. And, of course, my wife is so sweet. This is something, if you guys weren't here last week, then you can listen on the podcast. It's, it's funny now. But when she told me, I was like, why did you drive my car? You got to pump the brakes about 100 times before the car is going to stop. So my point was, there's a warning. We get, guys, all the time, we get warnings of what not to do. God's, my point last week was, God gives us warnings. Today, God's warning to us is to turn to Jesus and escape perishing. Here's, what, here's the truth, guys. There is life available to you. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the life that's available to you. Accept it tonight. And you're like, oh, I've already, I'm already a Christian. Okay, great. What I'm asking you is to accept more life. Take more of Jesus. Whatever you had yesterday isn't enough for today. Whatever you have today isn't enough for tomorrow. Guys, we need more of him. Accept that there's life available in Jesus. And I want you guys, we're gonna, I want to end with just a, f- a few phrases from what we've already read. Verse 22. Under, I want you guys to underline this if you haven't already. Verse 22, Paul's speaking about David, and he says this. He says, he says, he quotes what God says about David, that David will do everything I want him to do. Think about what God's saying. God's got, Paul's saying, God had things he wanted d- done, and David was the guy who would do what God wanted him to do. And here's my question for you. Can you, are you going to be like David? God's got all kinds of things that he wants done. He's looking for somebody to do it. Would it, not, would it be that the people at the cornerstone be like, here I am, God, send me. Just tell me what to do. I'm ready. I want to fulfill my, your purpose through my life in this world and on this campus tonight and tomorrow and the next day. Okay. Verse 25, underline this. As John was completing his work, And then down to verse 36, 
For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Okay, we already read those verses. We already read that stuff. But here's what I want you guys to get. God had things that he wanted David to do. He had things that he wanted John the Baptist to do. And they did it. They fulfilled God's purpose for their existence on this planet. And here's the sickening truth that almost nobody does. Almost nobody does. And almost nobody on this planet fulfills the purpose that God created them for. God's got a purpose for your life just like he had for David, just like he had for John the Baptist. You're not David. You're not John the Baptist. You're you. You didn't live at the time of Jesus. You didn't live a thousand years before. You live in 2019. And God's got a purpose for your life that he wants to fulfill in you, through you. I've got 9,333 days before I turn 80. Sorry, guys, to keep on telling you how many I got left. You know why now? Because I wake up every day thinking, I don't want to miss the opportunity today to fulfill God's purpose for me today. And I'm teaching you guys the Bible because I'm begging the Lord not to let one person in this room, one person who calls themselves the cor- says that they're part of the cornerstone community, that not one of you would miss what God has for you. Not miss a single day. Okay, got to tell you guys about Ian. Yesterday, Ian was late for school. Don't tell him that I talked to you guys because I have to pay him every time that I use it. It's like royalty. So every time I talk about him, I got to pay him. Okay. So if you, t- if you tell him, then he's going to charge me. That's okay. You can tell him. Okay, so yesterday he's late for school. And, and he's rushing at the last minute. And I'm like, buddy, you got to brush your teeth before you go. And he says, dad, I don't got time. I don't got time. And I'm like, you got to brush your teeth before you go. If you're late for school, you still got to brush your teeth. because you, you can't just say I don't have time every day. So Ruth comes to the rescue, my sweet wife. And she says, here's a throwaway toothbrush taken in the car. As Kyle drives you, you can brush your teeth. So they take off. We pray together. We always pray before they leave. We pray. And then they take off. And today, guess what? He's light, rushing around, like, we got to go, we got to go, let's pray, let's pray. I'm like, buddy, you got to brush your teeth. He's like, Dad, I don't got time, I don't got time. I'm like, hey, did you brush your teeth yesterday on the way to school? Mom gave you that throwaway toothbrush, did you brush your teeth? He's like, Dad, I didn't do it. I was like, go get your teeth brushed. He's like, Dad, I meant to brush my teeth. I was like, I don't care if you meant to or not. You didn't. Did you brush your teeth? No. Okay, go brush your teeth. Here's what I want to, as soon as he said that, I thought, yes, there are so many of us who have been called by God, who have a purpose from God for what we do today and what we do tomorrow, and we're going to stand at the end of our lives and say, I really meant to. I really intended to. And I'm begging you guys, don't be like Ian and brushing the teeth thing. You guys been about tell him or he's going to be upset at me. But, guys, let's not be like that. God has life for you because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
life is available. And there's life available through you, from Jesus, through you, for this world, if you'll be willing to fulfill your purpose. Most people won't do it. So I want you guys to think. we got thirty one minute left here. What is the, the difference between the people who get to the end of their lives and say, I fulfilled my purpose for my life, and those who say, if only I'd done it differently. What's the I mean, how, how can we ensure that the people here at the Cornerstone aren't those people? Because I'm not okay with it. And I've, 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 I've been asking myself this question today. I've been pondering it. Thinking, why is it that some do and some don't? Because everybody wants to. Nobody, nobody says, I hope my life's a failure. I pl- I'm going to plan, but I'm not going to follow through. Nobody says that. So why is it? What is the determining factor? You know what I think it is more than anything else? It's surrender. Here I am, Lord. I can't make anything in my life on my own. So here I am. I surrender this little life of mine to you. And this great verse from Psalm 138.8 that made so much, had such an impact on me one morning, one, you know, every morning I learned new things about Jesus, but one morning about 15 years ago where the Lord said, says this, I will fulfill my purpose for your life. But you know what? That takes surrender. Don't be like the scoffers that Paul's talking about here who say, ah, this can't be true. The key to success in your life, the key to your future, is hangs on whether you are willing to surrender all to Jesus. Because let's do that. Let's just, let's just stand up and we're just going to pray. I'm just going to pray a prayer of surrender and you guys just join me. Lord Jesus, here we are as people who love you so much. And we're asking you to fulfill your purpose in each of us. Would you guys just say that? Lord, would you fulfill your purpose in me? I give myself to you. Would you show me where to go? Would you show me how to live? Would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? Would you help me to know you more? Would you help me to trust you more? And to love you more? And would you fulfill your purpose for my life? Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you just keep us from being doubters or scoffers or people who walk away into death? Help us, Lord. Would your blessing would you be on my friends here, your spirit poured out on every one of them. And we just all together just want to say, here we are, Lord, send us. In Jesus' name, amen.